You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Keep your Bibles open there to Ephesians chapter 1, if you will. Easter's right around the corner for us, and that is a tremendous time for those who are outside the church to perhaps come for the first time in a long time to church. In fact, it's been two years since we've had the privilege of celebrating Easter together. So it's going to be a special Easter, and I want you to make plans for that. And I want to leverage everything out of it in order to honor the Lord. And to honor the Lord, part of that is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And you're seeing a number in front of you that you can text with the words Easter 21. And the graphic that you saw a moment ago will come into your phone. I invite you to do that right now, if you would. Just take your... Take your device and text that number, the words Easter 21, and then that that graphic will come to you. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. I've been in ministry for 20 years, and the studies have not changed this one piece. Four out of five, three out of four people will come to church with you if you invite them. This isn't a graphic to just blanket on social media. The power is in the personal invitation to identify right now a coworker, a family member, or a friend who needs Christ or someone to get back involved in church. And so that power of personal invitation, let me say it again, four out of five, three out of four, that's where these studies range over the last 15, 20 years, will come to church if you invite them. So here's what I'm calling upon you as believers in Christ to do. Let's leverage Easter to honor the Lord and to kickstart some people's faith. Wouldn't that be a great Easter Sunday? And so you may want to prepare a meal afterwards or go out to eat, whatever that might look like. But go ahead and just text that number if you will. Put that graphic in your phone. You can go to NRHBC backslash Easter. Find everything right there. Scroll around, right click, do something, and the graphic comes to you. I, I don't know how, but you're smart. You've got, you've got young people in your house. They'll tell you what to do on that piece, all right? Hey, let's study Ephesians 1 together. We are in desperate need of hope as a society. Desperate need of hope. Speaking of study, a Pew Research study recently spoke about Americans. We are not optimistic about our future. Overwhelmingly, we are pessimistic about our future. When asked about the economy, when asked about the emotional state, when asked about the politics of our nation, the Pew Research study said about 60% that we are very concerned and pessimistic about the direction of our country and about all that's happening, not just nationally, but what's happening with friends and loved ones, family members around us. We are anxious. We are anxious people. In fact, here are things that are nearly pandemic, if not already pandemic, depression, drug abuse, addiction, loneliness, You know, the one that caught me off guard this past year, and I know not everybody is a gun person, but when somebody told me that you cannot purchase ammunition, it's not on the shelves right now. Now, I don't don't care your opinion about guns. I'm telling you, when that is happening, that's telling you that people are really anxious. They're very anxious. If you can't find that, they're, they're troubled. And all of us are feeling this. Where do we turn in this? We turn to an almighty God in prayer. In a moment, I'm going to ask you about developing your personal prayer habit and beginning by just looking at that and evaluating it personally. But so many of you, you'll amen this idea of prayer, but where 
are we as far as gaining hope from prayer? And that's our, that's our text this morning. It's calling upon us to have clear spiritual sight, clear spiritual sight as we pray. By the way, speaking about that, how is your prayer life? If I were to put a piece of paper across the desk and ask you to pick one of four categories, of de- just the development of your prayer life, where would it be? Let me just outline those for you. And you just pick where you are in your prayer life and just evaluate yourself. The first is what I'm calling the preschool prayer phase. Preschool prayer phase. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's when you, you think to pray, you do pray. But you don't think about praying very often. You, whenever you think about it, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to pray. So that's when you do it. Now, there's, there's no need to be embarrassed, all of you that may be here, because we all have to start out in preschool. There was a day when I did not know my ABCs. There was a day that I could not count to five. There are recent days that I can't count to five either. I mean, there are just those days. But you're in your preschool prayer phase when you, you know you should pray, you want to pray, but you just don't think about praying. You have no developed habits of prayer. Here's the second phase. When you move out of that preschool, and even elementary, you might say, into the middle school prayer phase. Now, I, I have some middle schoolers here this morning. We're really glad to have you. In middle school, you're, you're developing into an adult. This is when you're becoming, the prayer is becoming more of a habit. You've got a little bit of growth behind you now in prayer, and you're, you're praying more than just when you think about it. It's becoming a habit. In fact, you may even have a, a routine about prayer. Pray in the evening, pray in the morning. Now, the truth is, if you're in the middle school prayer phase, your prayers are often, you don't feel like they're getting past the ceiling, as if you're speaking to an inanimate object. You don't feel any power in it. You, and you know you should pray more. You feel that in this phase. And you know you should be excited about prayer, but you oftentimes it, find it boring and just, you feel guilty. You feel guilty you don't pray more. In this phase, you may be eager to do better, but you really don't know how. Here's the third phase, not only the middle school and the, and the preschool, but here's the upperclassmen prayer phase, the upperclassmen prayer. This is when you, you pray fairly consistently. You've got a consistency now. You only rarely missed this prayer time that you've set aside. You may even have a journal to pray. That's one of the best things I've done for my prayer life is when I've journaled that and I begin to write out my prayers. And then here's another habit that the upperclassmen will do when it comes to this. It's what I call entering into the echo chamber, the echo chamber of the Bible. You pray when you enter into the echo chamber of the Bible. What do I mean by that? I mean that you identify prayers like the model prayer in Matthew 6, and you begin to personalize that and pray it to the Father. Or you take this prayer here in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15 through 23, and you reach the heavens with that prayer. You personalize it. You don't pray like a robot. You don't just pray rotely, you don't memorize it, and just, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep, right? When you're in the upperclassman phase, you're, you're praying in the echo chamber of the Bible, you're praying the Bible's prayers, and you feel the hope because of prayer. You feel that hope that's coming in. Here's the last phase, the graduate school prayer, the bra- graduate school prayer phase. What is this? Well, you've moved to a real consistency at this point. You're praying at least three times a day, morning, evening, afternoon. So there's a real consistency. By the way, don't congratulate yourself on that consistency. Don't, don't pat yourself on the back. The men who crucified Jesus prayed very consistently. 
They were real prayers. So let's, let's, not, let's not get legalistic and just congratulate ourselves. But there is a dedication to it. In this place, you might even have a prayer closet. You've read books on prayer. You know how to pray, even Jesus' high priestly prayer there in John 17. And you are convinced that you've sensed the hope that comes from prayer, and you've seen the miracles by praying for people. You've seen lives changed. So let me ask you here, which stage are you? Where are you? Are you in the beginning? Are you moving toward that advancement? Just go ahead and just pick one of those out right now. And it's not so much just to fill the moment. It's to get you moving. And if you're like me, there are days that, man, I feel like I could go into hell with a water pistol and take them all on. And there's a lot of days I feel like I'm between the preschool and the middle school. So where are you? Go ahead and just establish that. And let's begin a plan to develop and to find the hope. That's what the Bible's going to call upon us today. In this age of despair, how do I find hope? And I find hope through prayer. Look with me, beginning in verse 18. The Bible calls upon us to have hope. We have to clearly see. Verse 18, the text of Scripture says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you. So the first piece is for you and I to sense the hope as believers, we've got to have our eyes clear. We're like Samson of old. You remember Samson? At the end of his life, this great strong man of God, his hair is cut, he's taken into captivity. And among the things they did besides cutting his hair, they gouged out his eyes. He couldn't see. And he's taken, Samson is, he's taken from his hometown into the Gaza area by the Mediterranean. And he's shackled there. And as he's brought to that place, if your eyes are gone. You can't see the beauty of the Mediterranean. You can't see the beauty of the Philistine palaces and all that's happening there. Some of us have no spiritual sight, or we have very little spiritual sight. So the Bible says you're already possessing this hope as believers. This is a prayer for believers. And God's calling on us to have clear spiritual sight. You know, hope is a powerful thing. We need hope. Hope doesn't come from the technology that's advancing so rapidly. It doesn't come from the stock market. Hope comes from the Lord Jesus. I think about Dr. Martin Luther King and his great I Have a Dream speech. Embedded in there, he spoke of an allusion to Daniel and hope. He said, and I quote, this is our hope, and this is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. And with this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. And with this faith, we'll be able to work together, pray together, struggle together, go to jail together, stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. He's speaking here, that stone of hope coming from Daniel chapter 2. It speaks of this tremendous hope, and hope is a powerful thing. Now, the Bible here is saying in Ephesians 1, you already possess this hope. Let me show you this. In Ephesians 1, look in verse 18, and you'll see this on the screen. There are three watts, not W-A-T-T-S, W-H-A-T. And I want you to pay attention to these three, because the Bible says you're already in possession of this. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. There's the first watt, the hope to which you're called. Second watt. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints? Third, what? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe? 
according to all the working of his great might. So the Bible here is calling upon us to pray for our eyesight, our spiritual eyesight. And did you notice where the eyes were? The Bible doesn't put these eyes in our head. It puts them where? In our heart. Puts them in our heart. Why is that? Because our heart is the control center. It's the throne room. Makes the decisions. It's that critical place. It's not so much with our head. It's with our heart. The Bible calls upon that. Jesus said something very similar. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So there's a clarity that comes. And I want to remind you again, second or third time I've said this, these are for people who already see spiritually to be praying that they would see more clearly spiritually. I think in our house, we have two kind of light switches in our house. I bet you do too, at least two. We have the on-off switch, the dimmer switch is the second, but the first is the on-off switch. Some places, did you have this in that snowmageddon when your power was off? I would go throughout the house flipping lights on, and I knew they weren't going to come on, and yet the habit was to turn them on when I went in that room. It's a silly thing. But there's an on-off switch. The Bible says if you're not in Christ, you're spiritually blind. It's off for you. Now, that may be not news you welcome to hear, but the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds and the hearts of unbelievers. So if you're outside of Jesus Christ, you're not seeing. That switch is in the off position. You have no spiritual sight. Satan has blinded you to this. There's some of us in the room whom the switch is on. But the dimmer switch, like our dining room dimmer switch, it's turned all the way down. They're barely, those lights are barely going. Some of you are there today. You can see, but God is calling on you to pray that your heart's eyes, spiritual eyes, would be enlightened. You're to pray that you would see clearly and not be a Samson. And here's what we're praying for. Again, in verse 18, the Bible says we're praying for this powerful hope. Now, why should I pray for it? Because hope is an antidote to anxiety. It's a ballast, if you will. It's an emotional steadiness that moves through, moves you through this earth. And notice carefully what he says. It's the hope to which he's called you. You're already in possession of it at some level. It's a gift given to you as a believer, and yet it can be developed. It's something that you have in your possession if you're in Christ, and yet you can develop it. And you can ask the Lord, I want more of this hope. I want my loved ones to have more of this hope. I want the believers in my Bible study to have more of this. I want them to have clear sight. What is this hope? Why are we so despairing? Because most of our getting our hope from the evening news or from the stock market or from the progress we're making personally. But what is the hope? The hope is this. As believers, we have a hope that God's hand of protection is upon us forever and ever. We have a hope that are in Christ that we have God's rich love that is in our possession forever and ever. In Christ, we have a possession. We have a hope that God's very everlasting arms are underneath of us and around us for all of our years, whether they be long or whether they be short. And you have a hope that the Lord will be your shepherd and you shall not want. You have a hope that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you have a hope at the end of this life, when you depart this life, 
that Christ himself will meet you. This is the hope of his calling. And the Bible says that that hope is needed because life itself is difficult. You can expect of this life to have a stormy voyage. But if Christ is at the helm of your life, if Christ is at the control of the ship, you have a hope to arrive in a harbor of calm waters at the end of your day. You can expect to be tempted, but you can have a hope to be upheld through the temptation. You have a hope to be cleared, even though you can expect to be slandered. You can expect to be tried in this life, but you can also have a hope that you would triumph. This is the hope of his calling. And you have a hope that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Even in the difficult, despairing days of the early part of 2021, even when you're being pulled in every direction, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So don't quit. We've got too many quitters. We've got too many ex-Bible study teachers and ex-evangelists and ex-choir members. Don't quit just because of despairing times. I bet if you interviewed the people of Great Britain, they're so thankful that Winston Churchill did not quit. He had a persevering spirit. We cannot quit at this time because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We have this hope for absolute perfection at the end of life. That is, that God, who has changed our hearts at salvation, will continue his work. The good work of progress and sanctification that's going to happen until he has taken every sin out of our lives and every thought of sin out of our minds and every desire of sin out of our hearts. We hope and have an expectation to renew our minds and prevent us from so many of the mistakes in our judgment. This is our hope, that we have a hope and expectation that he would renew our hearts, that our desire would be for things above, that we'd find the things above more attractive than the things below. Yes, we have a hope to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Yes, dear Christian friends, this is the hope of his calling. And we have this hope and even have an expectation that the end of days that our body is raised. We have this hope because Christ was raised from the grave. And we have this hope that when our body wakes from this life and the next life, when our body wakes from death's sleep, that what's been sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. And what's been sown in weakness will be raised in power. We have a hope that our body will be just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we will, between the resurrection and the ascension, have all that he had. We're looking forward to a time when we shall be done with all the heartaches and the pains and the aches and pains of life's weariness and frustration when this old age, along with its sickness, will be away. We have a hope to be rid of even death itself. Yes, we have this hope and we expect to be one day continually young in our resurrected bodies. And we have a hope that the joy of eternal life of the future would be right now my possession with an unmitigated joy. This is the hope of his calling. This is what we're to have and possess. We are reminded of the same man who wrote the book in Ephesians, said these words in 1 Corinthians. We have what is no eye has seen, and nor has ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We shall be blessed. At the right hand of God, the Bible tells us in the psalm that there are right hand, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friend, this is the hope of your calling. It's a powerful thing. Now, how does this work? How does this happen? 
on a Monday when I'm going into work and my spouse is sort of chewing on me because I forgot something and the kids aren't doing really well and my mother's not happy or my father's not happy with me and all that stuff. How does that work in real life? Well, it reminds me of, of, of watching the Super Bowl a couple years ago with some uh, missionary friends overseas. You know, when you're overseas, especially missionary, you don't typically watch the football game or the basketball game or the baseball game when it happens. You have to record it and watch it tomorrow, so to speak. Now, some of you, you get this. You've got a team that you love, and you're so emotionally entrenched with your team. I mean, when they're up, you're up. And when they lose, I mean, you're just, you're just like on the floor. Anybody like that? we got a family member. I love this family member, and I will not call this person's name. They live elsewhere. But when their team is a close end of the game, they will exit the living room, they will exit the family room and lock themselves in the bathroom and only hear about the outcome after the game. It's just too much anxiety in the middle of it, huh? Now, some of you are laughing like you've done that, don't you? Don't you look at me like you're psychologically whole. Now, Archie had this very thing. In the 1970s, Archie, a missionary, loved the 1970s Dallas Cowboys. He was a huge Roger Starbuck fan. He was a huge Tony Dorsett fan. But Archie, of course, could not watch the game, being a missionary, live. But he found that he couldn't even watch the game as regular people do because the anxiety. He was so inside with the Cowboys. He was so emotionally caught up with that piece. So this is what he did. He would record it however you did that back in the day. And because there was no such thing as the internet, he would listen to the game on the Armed Forces Radio. So then when he watched the game, he already knew the outcome. That's the only way he found that he could successfully watch the game is to know the outcome ahead of time. So now when Roger got sacked for 20 yards behind the play, he didn't get so caught up in it, so anxious because he knew that Roger was about to mount a comeback. He knew that even when Tony Dorsett, the great running back, was scratched from the game because of a hamstring injury, he knew that they were going to be okay because he'd already heard the outcome of the game. Do you see where this is going to go? How do believers handle the present age emotionally? It's because we've already listened to the game and heard at the end of the outcome. What do we know is the hope of his calling? What good is this hope in the present age? What is it hope for the present? Well, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you are an Archie. Because Archie and Bible-believing Christians have already watched the game and the pages of the book and know the outcome of it. You can handle the emotions of the present because you know your future. That's the hope of your calling. Now, I guess it's not a hope if you don't think it's really going to turn out that way. If you're the mindset that this is just a spiritual thing and this is not a real thing, if you're one of those liberals that thinks the resurrection is just spiritual talk, but he didn't really rise from the grave, then you would have no hope. But if you believe it's real, you come to the text when it speaks of the resurrection as if you'd walk into the tomb on Friday and take your two fingers up to the left wrist of Jesus himself and you feel no pulse. But on Sunday, if he were to allow you to touch him, there's a pulse there. That's what we mean by the resurrection, by the way. Why do I point to the resurrection? Because verse 20 tells us where our hope ultimately is anchored in. 
The Bible says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. Friend, that really happened. This is our hope. This is where we get it from, that our futures are tied up with him, that when he rose from the grave, there's coming a day when I will rise from the grave. And that's what the resurrection is, by the way. It is a glimpse into the future, a real future. Every Jew would think that the resurrection only happened at the end of time. Often Jesus would speak and he would predict, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise again. And the disciples, it went over their head, they didn't hear it. Peter on one occasion said, Jesus, you've got it wrong. By the way, try that later today when you pray with God. Say, Father, I think you've got this wrong. Jesus said, shut your mouth, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Why why could they not hear that? Go to the Gospels. You count how many times Jesus predicted his own death there. Why could they not hear that? Here's why. Because they could not expect a resurrection in the middle of history. You know what Easter is in a few weeks? Easter is the invasion of the future into the present. It is the way things are going to be, but you've got a preview. It's going to the movie theater and saying, that two-minute preview, I want more of that. That's what the resurrection is. It is God's future of this world, and he's bringing it in our present and our past. And all this is attached to this thing about prayer. See, most of us will celebrate resurrection in a few weeks for those who do believe it. If you do believe it really happened, and you put on the clothes, and you eat the Easter ham, but then you put the resurrection away in a drawer, and you close it until you need it later, like at a funeral or next Easter. But Paul's teaching is here. This is an admonition for even the who are conservatives, pull the drawer out. If you really believe it, pull it out. Use the tool of the resurrection right now in your prayer life, because that powers the hope. That powers the addiction from sin. It breaks those chains. This is a resurrected power prayer for hope in the midst of despair. So how many of you have that? I mean, how many have it surging through you? Because we need it. You know what the zip code needs? You know what the mid-cities in North Fort Worth needs? It needs a colony of heaven right here on earth. It needs people convinced of the future right here, speaking words of encouragement. Don't quit. Don't quit. Every day that God wakes you up as a believer, you wake up, you praise the Lord, and then you know what your task is on this earth? I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you you believe. Your task is to advance the kingdom this day. Between the hour he woke you up and the hour that you go to sleep, you're to be praying, thinking, strategizing, speaking, communicating. How can I bring more of God's colony of heaven on earth until he decides to bring it. So don't quit, my friend. Are these disparaging days? Is despair in plenty supply and hope is so rare that it feels like gold? Absolutely. What a great day to be a believer. What a great day to begin your day and say, Father, would you take the resurrected power and fill me with your hope? Would you remind me all through this day, no matter what my kids do, No matter what my husband says, no matter what my parents will tell me, 
no matter all that comes at me with my boss and all the lack of finances, all the problems I've got, that I'm your child, and you've got me in your hands, and you are a big God. So if the doctor says to you, you've got a lethal condition, and the lethal condition can only be taken care of if you take this pill, would you forget to take the pill? If he told you you've got a lethal condition, you must take this pill, and you must take it every night, would you say, I'll just take it on Mondays? I bet you'd have a 90-day supply, and I bet you'd take that with the greatest devotion. God is calling us as believers. This is our condition. It's lethal of despair. We need to have our heads up. We need to be filled with the hope of the future the hope that God is working in the present. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.